Hello, everybody, and welcome to week two edition of Stat Chasing. We have a really exciting week of football to uh, discuss. A lot of really high wide receiver scoring from Stephon Diggs. Um, really highlighted the week with a 45-point performance. And a lot of interesting other situations at running back uh, to discuss with some of the top players posting lower than expected scores. So yeah, it was an exciting week. Um, Drico, how did everything go for you um, in week two um, from a fantasy perspective? Yeah, uh, fun week for sure. Um, I thought I had a sweat in uh, DFS. Uh, kind of ironic. I, I I put that big post out like, this is why I'm focusing on the Battle Royales now. And then I saw I had a bunch of tickets on uh, DraftKings and I entered them into the um, into the jukebox, which is about 150,000. I'm like, you know, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. Just throw them in there. And then uh, at some at points, I was I was in the top place for uh, the jukebox. Oh wow! Uh, and um, yeah, couldn't pull it out. Had had two a couple. I think I had three scores above 220 points. Wow! But, uh, I I I won I, I won enough for a pack of uh, a six pack of Bud Light in the end. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's who you have in those lineups. Um, and they were, they, they, it was definitely stacking the uh, the Miami and Baltimore yep. game. Got it. Yeah, it seems like we didn't have Tua to Waddle or Tua to Hill, or maybe maybe even needed both to take down those tournaments. Um, but yeah, we also had a pretty insane sweat in our main event team. I know people don't want to hear about our leagues, but we were down eighty points going into Monday Night Football. Had Jalen Hurts and Stephon Diggs. Um, they both went nuclear and we ended up winning by just a handful of points, which was, which was pretty exciting for Monday night. So yeah, a lot of crazy scores going up in general, um, as we'll get into, as we, we go through the data here. Um, but, but yeah, um, I think we can, we can jump into it. Um, had a great reception from folks, uh, for week one. So we'll largely stick to the same format that you may be familiar with now. Um, and yeah. Trickle, why don't we just get started with the quarterbacks here? Um, and then just want to say good evening to you too, the Achievers. Yeah, thanks for tuning in. And uh, yeah, for those of you guys uh, watching, we'll we'll answer questions. Um, we'll try to answer questions as we go through these. So feel free to chime in um, with comments and questions. Um, yeah, so anyways, on the quarterback side, Again, just to describe what we're looking at here, we have TD rate on the y-axis and adjusted yards per attempt on the x-axis, which is a uh, yards per attempt adjusted for interceptions and touchdowns. And the size of the bubbles here again is rushing yards uh, to see which of you know the Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts, uh, Marcus Mariota's type uh, pop out here. So with that said. Uh, I think I noticed a couple interesting things in this chart. Uh, Tua up there in the far right corner uh, is one, but uh, Drick, I'll kick it to you. Any any big quarterback takeaways from um, this chart? Which uh, I, and again, to be clear, this is looking at one, weeks one and two combined, so not just week two, but both weeks one and two. Um, any takeaways here? Drick? Yeah, so I I did want to start with a uh, question that we got in the, in the Discord. And it was essentially how come Matt Ryan was so bad? Um, it's a, it's an e- it's an easy answer. Uh, he's obviously an older quarterback, but the the big problem for him was that 
his best receiver in the game. His top targeted receiver in the game was Ashton Doolin, who was a career punt gunner. So that uh, that, that obviously <laughs> led to some predictable results. Uh, or easy easy to call a predictable result after the fact. And yeah, Pittman being out definitely definitely seems to have hurt him. Uh, for sure. There, for sure. Um, so some other takeaways I had was so you can see just how poorly uh, Kyler Kyler Murray performed there. He's kind of hidden away in this kind of cluster, Davis Mills, Marcus Mariota cluster. Um, you never want to be in the Davis Mills, Marcus Mariota cluster. <laughs> no, that's Kyler not Murray. where you want to be. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I did a little bit of digging on it, and it kind of – or not a kind of, it looks like they were relying on Hollywood Brown to in the alpha role. So he was like the top target receiver. He was getting like a 13 A dot, which is like, that's the kind of alpha A dot and just brutal results, absolutely brutal results. And it really does look like they're, they're missing a new Hopkins an awful lot. Like, I guess there was some hope that uh, Hollywood would be able to kind of like soak up those sort of targets in the early goings, but it does seem clear that's not the type of receiver that he is. Um, and I guess with, with this being a kind of like eye on uh, resurrection stuff, mm-hmm. it's worth to note that Nuke does come back in week seven. So that would be something that I would kind of look for a, a decent jump there for Kyler uh, once Nuke comes back. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, with the resurrection, if, if Kyler's ADP is falling, I'm still buying there because, yeah, like you said, it doesn't start till week six. Love Nuke back. I think, you know, with Nuke back, that could put Marquise Brown into a more natural position as a field stretcher, secondary target, similar to what he played for the Ravens last year with Mark Andrews as the alpha target earner. I think that might be a more natural role for Marquise. Uh, once once Hopkins is back and I think you could see this Cardinals offense start to click a little bit more you'll have Rondell Moore hopefully healthy Zach Ertz hopefully more healthy than he started off the year as maybe Trey McBride coming on late Um, certainly a poor start for Murray in the first two weeks but I am not panicking especially if his price starts to fall right behind the the so his ADC is still at 50 so yep and and I guess people do. It does seem like people are holding off on the resurrection until we get more information, uh, which I I do think makes sense. Um, but when when Jalen Hurts is is QB five, and and going just so early, uh, it, it it does it does make uh, an ADP of fifty more palatable. Like if yeah. Jalen Hurts is going to pick thirty six. 52 doesn't sound too bad. Um, but obviously, you, you probably do want to look for a, a bit of a slide given the performances. But at the same time, I, I think it's it's important not to forget how volatile fantasy football can be and, and how volatile just production can be. Because if you were to look at the, uh, the, the Kyler Murray's and the Cardinals' offensive performance at the start of last year, it was it was gangbusters. They could do no wrong. They were in shootout. Either they were in shootouts or they were just scoring so many points on, on the opponent that the other side couldn't keep up. So 
I, mm-hmm. I guess I just wouldn't forget about that just because uh, they've had this kind of like per result to start the season. Yep, I'm totally on board, on board there. I think huge games are still definitely within Kyler's range of outcomes. Um, I, I think, Drico, what we can touch on a little bit is maybe quarterbacks on the, you know, low-end QB1, high-end QB2 border because there are a lot of teams out there that are going to lose Dak um, or that have lost Dak, that have lost Trey Lance to injuries for a good stretch. Uh, do you have any preference? Let me throw out four names to you of okay. guys that have, have outperformed uh, early season expectations a little bit. Um, a, a Kind of a handful of po- uh, pocket passers here in Tua, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, and Trevor Lawrence. Um, for me, I like Goff quite a bit. I think he would be my my preference there. The Lions, but it's not shown on this chart. But You're, you mean about- at cost, right? Yeah, sorry, at, at cost. Um, th- yeah, I'm talking sort of uh, ADP for best ball resurrection. Important to make that clear. I think at cost, Jared Goff still goes, I believe, in the 180s. Um, the Lions have one of the highest pass rates over expectation of any team in the league so far. And I think the Lions' weapons are still underrated uh, in terms of the right. how the general public perceives them. I think people are finally catching on to a Monroe St. Brown. He's way up there. Obviously, Swift is way up there. But their secondary guys, Jamison Williams, DJ Chark, TJ Hawkinson, Jamal Williams, they have a bunch of good players here on offense. And I think similar to what you saw with Jared Goff in L.A. back in the day, when he's surrounded by playmakers, he can effectively lead an offense and put up some pretty big spike weeks in fantasy. It also looks like the Lions' defense is going to continue to be a weak player for them. So it's a team that's throwing a lot. It's got good weapons with a bad defense. I am pretty bullish on Lions stacks, even at the elevated prices for Amon Ra and Swift um, right now. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, so um, it looks like Goff has moved up a little bit. He's moved up to uh, 155. Okay. Um, gotcha. But still, like for the, the type of performances that you've been getting – that is still really, really strong. Um, and I think as well, it, it, uh, there's been like comments that like he still looks like Goff. It's not like he's transformed into this other like being uh, out of nowhere and, and he's just destined for some kind of regression. He's still playing, he's still playing like Jared Goff. He's yeah. just kind of been dragged along by uh, really, really strong weapons. Yep. Yeah, I agree with that as well. I think he's, you know, a system quarterback and when the system is good, and I, I think it is right now, I'm buying the Lions. I think I think he can be good. But yeah, let's let's maybe move on to to running backs here. I think that was a good discussion on the quarterbacks. Um so here again for running backs, we're looking at workload here on this chart versus efficiency that's how to think about it at a high level so on the y-axis we have receiving expected fantasy points per game the x-axis is rushing fantasy points per game add those two together and you have a good sense good sense of the opportunity that each individual running back is getting in their uh, respective offenses Um, also you can see in the chart 
the size of the bubble is fantasy points over expected. So someone like DeAndre Swift, who's ripping off massive runs on a fairly light workload, you see him have sort of a huge bubble here. Whereas someone like Joe Mixon, who is more more or less just surviving on a massive workload, but not showing any great efficiency, has a really small bubble here. So that's sort of the overview of the chart. Um, what's shown here, uh, just to be clear, is just running backs with more than 10 or sort of around 10 or more fantasy expected fantasy points per game, um, which is a group of about 30 or so running backs. So Trigger, anything from a workload perspective that jumped out to you in week one uh, on the running backs? Um, so I, I guess one thing that, uh, that, that helped me understand this chart a little bit better, those lines, those diagonal lines, if they're to the right of those lines, essentially that J- Josh Jacobs, you can see has more than 10 expected points per game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. You probably did say that. Um, no, that's a good, that's a good point. Yeah. I, those different ranges, you can see that they're sort of color coded, but that's a good way to think about it. Um, so on the far right side there. Those are the guys with the biggest workloads. They're to the right of sort of a line that would connect 20 to 20 if, if we really right. had a big enough chart. So that means that Barkley, Mixon, Antonio Gibson are all in this elite workload range of more than 20 expected fantasy points per game. But yeah, that's a good thing to point out, Trico. I'll, I'll let you continue. Um, so honestly, to start off with the kind of like the backs with the, the big expected point workloads, Joe Mixon is honestly one of the most intriguing for me in that he's just got so many, he's got so many expected points and he has got such a high percentage of the expected points. He's got 84% of the expected points for uh, the Bengals. And, and, and just, just for comparison, Saquon has the highest percentage at 93%. So that's that's a, a re, not only is he getting volume, he's getting a really high percentage of the volume, and a big part of that is just how many plays um, the Bengals are running. Mm-hmm. But the the I guess even even with some kind of regression on the on the play volume, and if they have like a more normal play volume, he's still got this huge workload. And a big part of the kind of undershoot or, or say underperformance on the, the fantasy points is just he hasn't gotten he hasn't converted the touchdowns uh, that he would be expected to. So he's at about m- minus fourteen expected points, and about eight of that is just from touchdowns. And it, it, honestly, Sam, this is a, this is, it's a difficult one for me because yeah. uh, he's going at the two tree turn, which. It seems kind of palatable, but yeah. At the same time, I don't. I don't know how. I, I've never been a Joe Mixon drafter. I've never. I. I don't. He's never been that interesting for me. But at the same time, if he keeps up that percentage, and he doesn't get hurt, it's almost inevitable that he has another big year. Yeah, I. I am definitely more bullish on Mixon than when I started the year. And it's interesting that his ADP has actually fallen slightly uh, compared to his sort of preseason ADP. And I I think the biggest thing that jumps out is the receiving usage. 
Right. You know, he's still not playing all the third downs. P. Ryan's still getting a lot of that work, but they target him heavily on first and second down. And, you know, part of that, my guess, is that their O-line has been such a disaster that Burrow is not able to get the ball deep to Higgins and Chase, and he's forced into a lot more checkdowns to mix in. You're also seeing Hurst's usage pretty strong right. as well from that perspective. So, you know, we'll see if that sticks, but at an ADP of around 20 right now in Basketball Resurrection, you know, I'm not super excited by the talent for Mixon, but the role looks really good. And with, I mean, running back is really thinned out. Derrick Henry's fallen off a cliff. It looks like Alvin Kamara's workload is way down. Najee Harris has this injury scare combined with a lower workload than expected. Like a lot is looking down for some of the top running backs for Mixon. Things are looking up, and if it's sort of a scarcity thing at running back at the top um, this year, then Mixon seems pretty good to me in the in the late second. Once all of those elite elite wide receivers are off the board, um, yeah, so, and yeah. I, I think it's interesting as well um, that there was a lot of conversation this year over whether all the wide receivers were being drafted too high. And all of the situation downgrades for the wide receivers. But there, I don't think there was a lot of conversation about maybe the situations aren't that great for the running backs either. Like we had like a huge amount of over 26, 27, 28 year old running backs in the first and second round. And obviously committees are becoming more and more kind of prominent and and the kind of uber back type that we've seen is is less prevalent and and i guess it is interesting that uh, joe mixon is only 26 mm-hmm. so it doesn't feel like he should be only 26 but that's almost an, an advantage i think when you see he's been kind of drafted alongside derrick henry yeah yeah and i think that will I think that will get updated as more people draft in the best ball resurrection. I think right. Mixon's ADP will will creep up, but yeah, I think in that late second range, I'm I'm definitely buying. I think other sort of things I wanted to touch on in this chart. Um, James Robinson's workload is really good for where you drafted him. He's right. in that ten to fifteen expected point range, uh, just to the left of Jonathan Taylor. If you're looking at the chart. And he's clearly ahead of ETN right now. And right. look, I think that will balance out as the season goes on. But in terms of just a winner versus ADP, James Robinson is honestly someone I had none of. Uh, right. I was not buying the recovery from the Achilles. I think I might have to change that in future years, just given how many of these guys are coming back so quickly from the Achilles and the ACLs. I mean, we'll see how it plays out in the full season, but... Um, just fully fading a guy because of an injury was maybe not smart on my point, um, given what he had shown in his past. I think, yeah. I think as well, what's interesting about James Robinson is not only is he getting a workload, he's playing well. Yep. He's mm-hmm. he's he's getting a positive um or in some in some in some ways he's getting a positive uh, fantasy point over expected. He is scoring touchdowns, he is rushing for yards and that's the sort of thing that asks that kind of demands more more usage and he he is a player who we know to be 
a, a really good running back. He is a, a good running back. And I think that if you drafted ETN, which I did when he was in the fourth and fifth round um, earlier in the, uh, in the offseason, that's a little, it's almost, I think you're almost getting a little bit of squeeze there by just how good uh, James Robinson is playing. And I guess the, the one, I guess, positive for ETN is that they're the only two running backs that get used. That's that's the one kind of like you're not going to get. I think you're barring another injury to James Robinson, which we don't want to see. You're going to be totally disappointed with ETN. But the one saving grace is they've only got two, so it's only getting split up two different ways. Yeah, now that's true, and I and I think ETN, you know, I think he will continue to get more involved. It's also a team where outside of Christian Kirk, they're really running out some questionable talent at wide receiver with Marvin Jones, Zay Jones. Jamal Agnew is getting snaps. It's a it's an offense where you could see a lot of the targets go to the running back and tight end. So, you know, ETN, he was not a good pick in the third round, but I don't think you're dead there. No. And the, off, the offense looks decent so far that, you know, there's still outs for for ETN, maybe with the James Robinson injury. But I, I don't, like, I think before the season, people were thinking that ETN could fully dust Robinson I don't right. think his role is going away. He looks he looks good. He's played well before in that offense. Um, I think he's going to continue to maintain a decent size role there. Um, yeah, and that is a good point that the best, <clears throat> probably the best players in the offense are James Robinson and ETN, which help, help, helps both of them, really, I think. Yeah, agreed, agreed. My, um, uh, my, my love note to uh, Antonio Gibson um, – it, did, it didn't pay off in, in week two. and uh, But what was interesting is that he still maintained that kind of double-double expected point uh, workload. And it, I guess the roots were close to 50-50 with McKissick. But I still think that if, if he's getting half the – if he's getting half at least half the receiving workload for the commanders, um, I, I – I, I, I guess I'm, I'm I'm feeling a little peevish about my maybe he should be go he he should be going in the fourth round but um it does seem like there is still a very strong workload there still a very talented player and that uh, I'm still hopeful that he breaks off some uh, some big plays to uh, to make me look a little smarter yeah and he has a lot of room to regress like I don't think I think. We probably weren't expecting him to maintain that double-double for the whole season, but he could, you know, at his cost, he could regress pretty far on this chart from a workload perspective and still be worth his right. value in the 60s. You know, his his workload is far exceeding that of the guys going in his range currently. So I still like him. Uh, mm-hmm. He's going this, what is it, 63 right now, you know, right around ETN, around Zeke, around Kareem Hunt around J.K. Dobbins, there's risk there, but all those guys are super risky, right? And I, I still like right. Gibson at that cost. If you spend a bunch of early round picks on wide receiver and you need a running back with with some upside down the street. And he really hasn't moved up that much. No. Like, I think when we last looked at this, he was going to run 67. Now he's going to pick 63. Mm-hmm. That's uh, I, that, that is still, like, you have a lot of room for error. And and a, and a lot of room for that to really smash too. Agreed. 
So I'm going to move to the next running back chart here that shows running backs with less than 10 or so expected points per game, just so we could visualize it better. But before we do that, I do want to call into attention where Tony Pollard is on this chart. He's right around oh, he's on 10. the chart this week, is he? he? He made it on the chart this week at 10 expected points per game. But who you do not see on this chart is Ezekiel Elliott, who is actually on the next chart at just. You'll see him sort of in the middle to the right side in the yellow band on this chart at less than 10 expected points per week. So this is not something I'm hearing people talking about, but based on usage in weeks one and two, Pollard has actually flipped Zeke in terms of usage. Now that is heavily driven by receiving usage and targets. Zeke is still maintaining a higher snap share, getting more rushes, but Pollard is seeing a much bigger receiving role. He was given a goal line touch last week at the one yard line. He had a big catch and they looked to him on the one yard line to punch it in. He got it done. Um, you know, I don't think he's going to steal the goal line role from Zeke. I think that was maybe a little bit of a fe- of a fluke, but I do think that, you know, if the Cowboys offense can get better, I think we're going to see closer to a 50 50 split than what we've seen in years past with Zeke and Pollard. I think Zeke looks quite bad in these games. And if the Cowboys have really any chance of of winning games, they're going to be looking to get Pollard more involved. The the last point I'll add there is the wide receiver corpse is just a disaster now. Uh, Noah Brown's becoming a target hog somehow. Dalton Schultz is injured with a PCL injury. Who knows on Gallup? Um, but they're trotting out a really, really weak wide receiver core. Dennis Houston, I think, is getting snaps. No idea who he is. So there's room in this offense for a running back to get a higher target share than we might expect uh, just based on on the offense. So, yeah, any, any thoughts there on the uh, Pollard-Zeke split? <laughs> I think uh, you've, uh, you sufficiently danced on the grave of uh, Zeke <laughs> Cool. Well, yeah, I'll kick it to you then. Yeah, it's uh, it's a fun. Based on my preseason um, shares of Zeke, I'm very happy to to do that dance. Um, I I I do I do want to point out that um, based on workload, Javante is is firmly ahead now of Melvin Gordon. Um, that he he I think he was it was somewhere around. 15 to uh to five expected points last week somewhere around that range and that uh if if you were drafting uh Gervonta at the two tree turn that is a it's a really nice outcome i do think though that and and, and obviously uh efic- fantasy football efficiency is super volatile he he does have to start playing better to keep melvin gordon off the field, but um, that uh, it, it's definitely very it's it's a very notable development, I think. Yeah, agreed. And I think you know I, I'm still in this from people who watch more film than me, but you hear people say Javante looks way more explosive, way more likely to rip off a big run. But Gordon is still better at finding the whole you know grinding out those six seven yard runs where maybe Javante misses uh misses where the play is going a little bit so you can see that in the chart here melvin is showing as a bit more efficient through the first two weeks but i don't think that's likely to hold just based on their trajectory i think javante will be more efficient than gordon in the long run but hey gordon's still a good player if you drafted gordon right. at his cost 
I think that's that's a win. He has a solid role as an RB2 in this offense, for sure. So just, just I guess, to clarify on my stat here, uh, in week two, Javante was about 14.5 expected points, while Melvin Gordon was 6.5. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I guess that, that, that that's to, just to clarify – clarify why that might look different to the uh to the chart um yep. so we did uh we actually got a question in from uh from pete about the uh the arizona and um, what what the hell happened once james connor came down and the it's not, guess, not good for you now <laughs> unfortunately right it's not great so but if, if you if you look at the uh the workload overall it was closer to 50 50 it was pretty the, the one um the one thing that kind of or say the two things that kind of pushed the mentor ahead. So he got a little bit more work in the red zone. So he got about four opportunities versus two for Eno. And okay. then two inside the ten, it was two for uh the mentor, one for Eno, and then uh uh Williams also had the, the 30 yard run. Uh, which obviously was pretty nice for his usage. So I, I guess it's it's not it's scant consolation prize that they were closer to 50-50, but it wasn't like uh, James Conner went down and then um, Eno was still the backup. It it, it was, I guess it, it was close to 50-50, but um, still not great if when James Conner goes down. And you know, still is uh, uh, not getting not not. He doesn't have the contingent value that we talked, but he does. He does seem to have some solid standalone value. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, it was a bit of a different story in week one. It looked like Eno was clearly ahead there, but clearly the Cardinals will play it a little bit differently once um, once James Conner actually goes down, as we saw last week, but. Again, I'm adding both of these guys. If we're talking managed season long, I'm taking stabs at both. I think I would slightly prioritize the mentor over Eno, but it's close. I wouldn't pay a big price difference there in terms of fab. I think they're both solid speculative ads, and maybe you get one or two starts out of them. One thing I wanted to talk about in this chart here, Drico, was – TDP's rushing workload. We have on the bottom of the chart here, you can see a couple of just pure two down grinders and Tyler Algier and Tyrion Davis price who are getting zero receiving work, but pretty heavy rushing game workloads for TDP. I think this is interesting because he has a high ankle sprain. Now I'd expect him to be out four to six weeks or so. That's generally what you see with this injury. So there's a pretty big rushing workload there. Also, keep in mind, Trey Lance is down. That's additional rushing workload that's going to go to someone. I think this Jeff Wilson role, just at, by default, because there's no one else there, could start to get quite big. And I'm also taking stabs on both uh, Marlon Mack and Jordan Mason as the RB2 there. With both Mitchell and TDP out for a long stretch, I think there's going to be two running backs that have value here. So it's a matter of just spray and pray with, with San Francisco and hope you land someone that gets part of this rushing workload. So just want to say, appreciate you, uh, Casey. Appreciate <laughs> it. Um, so, yeah, I, I always have a, a tough time with these kind of pure uh, 
r- rushing grinder type backs because obviously we use a predominantly kind of like either hero or zero or B where you are just trying to, to bank some cheap points uh, at running back. The, I guess because, and it's probably because I, a lot of what I play is kind of just tournaments and um, the 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 guys that uh the guys that are those pure rushing down grinders it does unless you get a kind of like elijah mitchell situation where they just dust everyone else they add a receiving profile it, it's it's it does seem like it's hard for them to be the guys that can really push you over the top in let's say a shootout in the main event or or any other kind of tournament but they are definitely useful. They're all useful pieces in just trying to get some points on on, uh, on, on your starting lineup as you try and and, and unearth the next uh, Elijah Mitchell or James Robinson or or whoever it is that that can get you a fifteen to twenty point week uh, with some some regularity. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I think I agree. I don't think these guys have the ceiling in a GPP. You know, Jeff Wilson depends what he's priced at. He he could maybe get you there as sort right. of chalk chalk play that you need at a cheap price. But I imagine he gets priced up now. Yeah, I'm more talking waivers and the main event and deep leagues. Right, where, and I, I wasn't really, yeah. I didn't really mean in DFS because obviously, if yeah. a running back is is five k, and they're starting running back, they can obviously get there. But yep. just in terms of like, let's say you're doing a shootout in the main event, and mm-hmm. and you want 20 points, it, it does feel harder for those guys to to get that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Probably low lower upside because of that. We, I mean, San Francisco is just such a unique situation where I've almost learned to treat it differently than almost any other running back situation in the NFL where there's just insane rushing workloads for these guys. They're not going to catch a ton of passes, but they can, if one of them does consolidate the workload, Wilson's the best bet right now. He's had big multi TD rushing games in the past, ripped off some long runs. So yeah, I, I, I think if you find the starter, they can get you there, the backup, not so much, but it's just to get you, you know, one man away from maybe getting that starter if, if Wilson goes down. But I totally hear what you're saying um, on the sort of the capped upside for for that role in itself. So any other points here on the running backs you wanted to hit on? Yeah. Uh, so one thing that I was interested, I thought was interesting was last night. Um, the, the gap between... Um, Dalvin Cook and Madison. So obviously this this doesn't show up in in the kind of like two week average, but it was it was a lot closer to a 60-40 split for Dalvin and Madison last night. And if you were drafting Dalvin Cook in the first round on on the idea that he was going to be an 80 to 90% share guy every game, that's uh, I think that, that that's got to be a little bit alarming. Um oh yeah. And promising for for uh, um, Madison drafters as well, especially with some of the food that came through in the off season. So it, it's it's hard to know where the kind of like true average split is going to lie. Maybe Madison played more last night because of game script or something like that, whereas Cook played more 
in um against Green Bay because because of, because they were winning so much. But if if now you're introducing this kind of snap volatility for the two of them where either of them can where Cook can be game scripted down to a, a 60% workload that uh, that's very different to what we're used to from them too. Yeah. I agree with that. I wonder if part of it was last night it really got into pure sort of blowout territory and maybe that was why you saw Madison play more. But even without that, Cook does not seem to have as big of a stranglehold on this role as we expected. And Madison is maybe a little bit more usable uh, as a flex punt play than we thought if he's going to get a a decent share of the work there. But, you know, the Vikings, I think there'll be better days ahead for the Vikings. I think something about Kirk Cousins on primetime. It's like a meme, but it's, it's so true. He just, he can't get it done in primetime and that offense really collapsed. Drico, we did have one question uh, in the discord from Hassan on the Seattle running back situation. For me, he asked, can we trust any running back in Seattle? Oh man, this is, (laughs) this is so disgusting. Travis Homer, doesn't even appear here, but I think led the team in snaps. Uh, God, um, I think <laughs> my answer is, is no. It's... I think that's the that's the key. Like, you're never going to be. I I don't think you're ever going to be excited to play any of these guys. Um, we started uh, Rashad Penny uh, last week, and we're really hoping to not ever have to do it. at this point. For now, we're really hoping to not have to do that uh, anytime soon. Um, I think no. that the hardest thing is that you've just—it's just such a full-blown committee that you've got multiple guys that are going to share the Russian workload, and there's not going to be a whole lot of Russian touchdowns. Uh, you've got Travis Homer, who's the third-down guy, but. How uh, how va- valuable is Geno Smith's third down uh, check down guy? It, it, it's it doesn't seem to be that valuable. No, it's definitely not. And you know, if I was really to force myself to paint an upside scenario for one of these guys, I think you do want Kenneth Walker over anyone in this group. He did, you know, he's not expected to have much of a receiving role coming into the NFL. He did show up here with close to five receiving expected fantasy points per game. So perhaps there's a world where they dust Homer and DJ Dallas and these guys, and they commit to Walker in the third down role. I don't think that's likely, but I think it's possible. Look, they spent a second round pick on this guy. I think he's more likely to have that role than Penny, given Penny had something insane, like two targets last year, you know, in in 10 games played or whatever. He's, he's just an absolute zero and how they want to use him in the past game. So I think Walker has more upside to capture that pass down role. And maybe we see a situation like with the Jets backs, you know, where it's running backs on this terrible team that are throwing a lot. Maybe Walker can sort of, you know, accumulate targets in that scenario. But we need Homer to get out of the way first. And as of right now, that's not going to happen, unfortunately. And I guess that the the one thing, the one kind of like shining beacon of hope is that there have, has been games where Rashad Penny just goes nuclear on efficiency of where he gets these six to seven yards per carry games. And um, 
it, it all all the stuff we're talking about do, doesn't matter because he's just playing so well. And he, uh, Kenneth Walker was so good as a rusher in college that it's it's really not difficult to envision him having those games either. But for now, it's it's it, you can't start them really, right? No, you can't start them with confidence. It's a it's a it's a prayer if you put them into your RB two, which unfortunately I will probably be um, praying to Pete Carroll in some leagues okay. next week where I'm forced to start uh, Rashad Penny. Uh, last thing I wanted to touch on here, running back, is CEH. He has the biggest fantasy points over expected on this chart. I would have to double check, but I think perhaps even the biggest, maybe only to Chubb and DeAndre Swift out of all running backs through two weeks. So, you know, I was doing a best ball resurrection draft today and I saw CEH is ADP going in the forties and I am almost fully fading him there. I think, you know, if you drafted him overall, he's number three in at, uh, fantasy points over expected. I'm oh, sorry. Three. Yeah. Good. That okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Thanks for double checking that. Yeah. That was just week two. Okay. No bad. No, it's all good. But I think it's something close to that. I think he's top five in fantasy points over expected. He does not have the goal line role locked down. We've seen both McKinnon and Pacheco get goal line touches. McKinnon is still quite overall as well. Number three overall. Gotcha. McKinnon is still quite involved as a receiver. And I think Pacheco, as a rookie, his role could grow throughout the year. So, you know, CEH, you drafted him at pick 80 to 100 in the preseason. You're loving that. You got a pretty good value there. He's going to pop up for spike weeks. But at an ADP in the 40s, I am most likely taking a wide receiver there. I think that's far too rich based on what his role has been so far. And I think the market is overreacting to... Uh, some extreme efficiencies so far from CEH, which based on what we know about him as a talent through the first two years in the NFL, I am highly betting that that efficiency does not hold throughout the year. Yeah, and it's almost like, so the the running back, the starting running back role for um, for the Chiefs is valuable in that you get to play with Mahomes. Andy Reid is this great offensive mind that where, where it can create the efficiency for, uh, probably subpar talent, um. But like you said, if you drafted him in 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 the one hundreds, and after last year where he just looked so bad, and every other every other running back they brought in looked miles better than him. The fact that he is uh playing well has to be encouraging. But at an ADP of forty, like that, uh. To me, that is an un- unpalatable price. No, you're getting just way too light of a workload there. Anyways, let's move on to the wide receiver position. So looking at this chart here, for those who tuned in last week, we have slightly changed up how we're going to look at wide receivers. On the y-axis here, we have fantasy points per game um, going up the top. And then on the x-axis, same as last week, we have weighted targets per route run. For those who are unfamiliar with weighted targets per route run, it is a stat that factors in targets per route run, but adjusts it for air yards. So a target 50 yards down the field is worth more than a screen pass. Um, so looking at this chart here, I think an interesting 
way to read it is looking, I sort of broke up this chart into four segments. We have in the top right corner, those are guys with high weighted targets per route runs and high fantasy points per game. So these are guys with big roles that are performing. In the bottom right, we have what I call buy lows. These are guys with big opportunities, big weighted targets for outrun, but have not shown um, much of a fantasy point ceiling so far. And then on the left-hand side, we have guys who have lower roles. Um, and in the top there, guys with lower roles that are scoring a lot of points. That might be a signal that you might want to sell some of these guys high. And then in the you know bottom left quadrant, I just call these guys cardio specialists there. <laughs> They're not getting much opportunity. They're running a lot of routes um, and they're not really scoring points. So we're going to start with the wide receivers here who have ran more than 90 routes or sorry, higher than 90% of routes run um, of their team's dropbacks. So these are guys that are running almost every single route. So with that said, Drico, I'll kick it to you. Anything jump out here through two weeks? perhaps someone whose role looks a lot better than you expected going into the season. So, um, I guess the, the one thing that, the, that is kind of striking and probably a big part of it is Judy's injury. Uh, Cortland Sutton had that. <laughs> Cortland Sutton had a, had that really strong opportunity and, he, he I, I guess Jerry Judy made Russell Wilson look good last week and Cortland Sutton made him look good for a play uh, this week. So I, I, I do I do think that's interesting that after like uh after a week where the wide receivers weren't really involved for Denver that uh Cortland Sutton kind of like jumps back up. Um I am honestly I am a little bit surprised that Christian Kirk has been able to kind of like be kind of firmly in that strong performer quadrant mm-hmm. because he always he always kind of seemed to me to be more alongside the uh what's his name Hollywood Brown sort of like type of player so the fact that he is getting that type of target share and, and performing with it is obviously super bullish for him and yeah super interesting for Kirk yeah you almost wonder if too yeah. What? Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say. I'll, you always wondered on Kirk if, um, you know, this Kingsbury system is so bad that once players get out of it, they look <laughs> they look even better. Uh, maybe you know, for those who have dynasty shares of Rondale Moore, that's some some false hope to hold on to. But um, yeah, I, I was shocked by that with Kirk too. He's not a guy I think of as a high target earner, high you know over twenty fantasy points per game so far, but. His role looks really good. You know, he's not going to maintain this efficiency. That would be insane. But I think, um, obviously, you're you're pumped with with where you took him. Um, yeah, sorry to cut you off, Trico. I don't know if you had uh, other, other. No, thoughts. no, no. You are good. Um, yeah. so I think that it's interesting. Uh, Jahan Dotson as a kind of sell high. It now with these kind of high performing rookies. It can be it, it it can be tricky to put a sell high notice mm-hmm. on them, and um, just because they have so much they can often have so much room to grow, but the fact that he's running this really high for a rookie root share, not getting great targets, but has put up the points, does kind of like that does 
sort of scream as a as a regression candidate. Um, yeah, he, he does. Maybe yeah. get over our ski when when he in in excitement for him is maybe we need to see a little bit more before uh, we truly get excited, just because he, he's not earning he's not earning targets at at the rate that we would want to see to get excited for a rookie. Yeah, that's that's a good point. He is not earning the targets, but he has been super efficient when he has been targeted. So, you know, with on the sell high thing, I think that's sort of just a general way to think about it. But I don't think I think it's important to consider the context of each player, right? And Dotson as a first round rookie who when some of these first round rookies like, you know, George Pickens have done absolutely nothing on the field and getting a lot of snaps. I'm still excited by the fact that he is scoring touchdowns. He is producing when he's out there. He's made some highlight reel catches. Uh, it's not the profile of someone I am extremely excited about. You know, I'm not taking him over Drake London now in Dynasty. I'm not taking him over Garrett Wilson. Obviously, obviously those guys have flashed a lot more, but I think it's still promising, again, relative to his cost. But currently he's going 80, I think in the low 80s on the best ball resurrection. Right. I, the I other think, thing is the yards per out run is just yeah. at 06. 1.6 so, 1.06 yeah okay so it, i guess he, he's not he's not earning targets and even even if he and and, and that is kind of like an dot adjusted uh target metric and he's not getting yardage but he has had touchdown efficiency mm-hmm. now again like like we're talking he's a rookie and there's there's room for rookies to grow but I, I did want to make that point. No, I think it's a good one that if, you know, don't expect the TD, insane TD rate for John Dotson to continue. One thing I wanted to call out here, and we've slandered CD Lamb a lot on the show last week. I think I'm, I think I'm actually back in on CD Lamb in the high third, mid to high thirties. That's where I got him in the best ball resurrection draft today. Look, his role is still pretty massive and we've made this argument before with the target competition but again i'll restate it uh the wide receivers there that they're trotting out noah brown dennis houston just no name guys dalton schultz now looks like he's gonna miss some time i think cd almost has to get more efficient and score more points based on the target share he's getting and again i think part of the discount you're getting on him now is the fact that dak is injured um, but in the best ball resurrection, Dak will be back for the playoffs, should be back for a good chunk of the regular season, I think. So I was totally fading CD at the one-two turn this year. I think it was so clear that there was just better wide receivers available. But once you get into the mid-30s, you can't find many guys with roles uh, from a target per- earning perspective that look as good as CD Lamb. So, you know, I, I even think that price could continue to drop. So maybe you want to wait a little bit and see if you can get even a better price, but his, his role just looks really good from a targeting. One, one note on the resurrection. So the scoring starts in week six and Jerry Jones just came out today and obviously a wildly optimistic. He said Dak could play in week four. He's, he's, he's not going to play in week four, but if you, uh, I guess if he came back in week six or seven, you're obviously feeling very good about 
at round three or four CD Lamb, right? Yeah, I agree. Any thoughts here? <laughs> Maybe to cover up Amari's name for Sean. I think what the Achievers is pointing out is uh, maybe we, maybe we do need to talk about Amari Cooper a little bit. He is he is flashing quite a big role, and and like the point we made with Dak for CD, there's the same narrative with Amari where Deshaun Watson is going to be back, you know, week twelve, I believe it is, and and for the playoff stretch in best ball, uh, Amari, you know, he had a really bad week one and then a really good week two. I can't say I watched the games to exactly know why, but any thoughts on Amari and his and his price right now in best ball drafts? And so he's still going at pick 77. Oof, so right I'm around Brandon I'm buying that. Damn. And he's going ahead of names like Curtis Samuel is up to 83. He's going ahead of Elijah Murr, Devonta Smith, going ahead of Garrett Wilson, Traylon Burks. And I, I, I think that – at that, the, the, the price does make it difficult. The price is definitely, uh, it's low enough that it's interesting. Um, it, and Mary Cooper, the player, is, is, is always just really hard to get excited about because he's, he's, he's just never been elite. Um, and when I think about these kind of tournaments, uh, I, I really do want to be getting the guys who – could be getting 25 points week after week in the playoffs. Not maybe guaranteed to do it, but have the potential to do it. And even even with Watson back, it really it is really hard for me to imagine that um, for Amari. But the price there does make it interesting in that you 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 can still pick. Plenty of high upside guys uh, before him, and and still and still get some strong weeks out of him. I guess yeah. it, it, it's probably not going to be a name that I click too often, um, but I, I certainly see the case. That's that's fair. Uh, I think it's a name. I think we maybe slightly disagree there. I think it's seventy-seven. Some of the wide receivers you listed after him, I think those guys' his price will go up guys like Wilson, right. etc. I don't think I'm taking Cooper over over some of those guys, but I think Cooper will ultimately fall in a range where he's cheap enough. And again, that wide receiver room in Cleveland is just is just a horrific. trash right now. It's horrific. Deshaun coming back. Deshaun is super cheap. I you know I hate I hate drafting Deshaun. It feels gross, but he is really cheap. And especially in this tournament when you know, it starts in week six. Him being out for those six weeks does not hurt you that much. Um, and his price, I don't think, has moved up enough to reflect the difference um, from when you draft him and need him to start, you know, weeks one one through six. Since those points don't count anymore, I think Deshaun is way too cheap. But I don't want to tout Deshaun Watson anymore. It just right. feels disgusting. Um, <laughs> I think other, other quick guys, we'll move on to the other chart just for folks listening on audio. Names that are having incredible roles so far. Amon Rod St. Brown, Cooper Cup, Justin Jefferson, Devontae Adams, AJ Brown, uh, Jamar Chase, Christian Kirk. I think those are pretty obvious, but you should be really happy if you have those guys. Guys that are running a ton of routes and not performing. Allen Robinson, Devonta Smith, George Pickens, Adam Thielen, Elijah Moore, Darnell Mooney. I don't think by any means those guys 
are dead and we don't have enough time to talk about each of them individually, but there are definitely warning signs there for those guys. Just wanted to, to highlight that before we move on to the next chart, which is going to show wide receivers, the same chart, but now wide receivers running 70 to 90% of routes. So these are close to full-time players, but for whatever reason, they're running slightly less routes uh, than the 90% plus. They could be slot players. This could be just skewed by teams that have been in blowouts, so they're arresting guys. I think you know that that explains some of the guys in this name on this list. Uh, but anyways, same chart for guys in the 70 to 90% routes run range. Drico, I'll kick it to you. Who stands out on this chart um, for wide receivers running 70 to 90% of routes? So I think we're into the range now where the kind of breakout profile wide receivers – uh, sorry, rookie wide receivers start to uh, get, I guess, start start to be more prominent. And uh, Drake London there earning just a, a huge amount of um, uh, targets and and a huge target share, uh, and doing that when he's not even um, he's only running he's in that eighty to eighty five percent route range. So you have the potential for like let's say a ten percent bump. So that's like a, that's the potential for even more targets if if he becomes more of a full time player. Um, the, yeah. the the Olave stuff. I I don't know if you saw all the all the stuff on Twitter that he. Uh, I think he had like three hundred air yards. I think it was three forty six something insane, like, like that. Just yeah. a crazy amount of air yards, and uh, that's prayer yards perhaps, but. At least 150 of those were real air yards. Probably 200 prayer yards mixed in there, though. So. Um, that's still like for a rookie. That is a great kind of opportunity. Um, yeah, I guess totally on, agree. On on the more negative side, um, so we we were we were very interested in Curtis Samuel last week, and obviously he he paid dividends again. Um, but I do, I do think it's interesting hearing that he is in the, uh, so that he scored so many points, but the target share isn't quite, uh, strong enough that it, uh, the amount of points, it doesn't quite justify the amount of points he's scoring. Yeah. I think with Samuel, what's interesting is maybe the target share is okay, but again, looking at weighted targets per route run. I think what Samuel is really hurt by here is an extremely low ADOT. I believe he has a less than five ADOT. I could I could pull up the, the numbers on that, but he is being used as an extreme short area sort of scheme touch target. Now, if that, you know, sell, sell high, let's think about what sell high means. If you can get someone who's expecting Curtis Samuel to score 20 plus points a game the rest of the year, Sure, you can sell him high. I, I do think he has a pretty solid role in this offense, and I still think the market is not going to be buying Curtis Samuel. He's now going in the 80s, I believe, on underdog best ball resurrection. Again, I'm still quick. Yeah. Amari Cooper or Curtis Samuel? I'm taking Amari Cooper. I think he has higher potential to be sort of a target hog uh, and have big spike weeks down the stretch. Um, 
but I think that's that's close for me. I'm still taking Samuel over Mooney. I'm taking Samuel over Dotson, over Ayuk, over Thielen uh, for guys in that right. in that range. Um, yeah, but I think the point you made on London is a good one that stood out to me a lot when looking at this chart. I also think that both him and Bateman are interesting in that they're in the set. Uh, London's in the 80 to 85% of routes run. Bateman's just in the 70 to 80% of routes run, but both of them are commanding huge target shares, huge weighted target shares on those routes. So they maybe even have more hidden upside. I've seen some concerns about Bateman because he's not really been a full-time player in the traditional wide receiver one sense. But given what he's earning when he is on the field, I'm still pretty excited about him. And I think there's a world where we get to week, you know, six and they're cutting down the routes for Prochet and Tylen Wallace and Duvernay a little bit and all these sort of secondary guys and Bateman could see an even right. He's just uh, playing so well. That yeah. <laughs> Can you really project Bateman for it to be a, a 70 80% route share guy when he's playing this well? Yeah, I agree. Maybe a name here that I want to talk about on the buy low side that I think is the most interesting. Um, it is not Equinemius <laughs> St. Brown. I should have redacted him from this chart. It's Sterling Shepard. I think we should be exciting, excited about Shepard. Similar to James Robinson, he looks good coming off the, the the torn Achilles. We've actually seen wide receivers do better off the torn Achilles than running backs in years past. We've seen Sanders, uh, Emmanuel Sanders come back and still be pretty good from that. Um, blanking other names right now, but I know it has a higher hit rate for wide receivers than running backs. And Shepard's been really good. He's been someone that I know Matt, Matt Harmon at Reception Perception has really liked. He's shown a targeted earning potential in the NFL, and he's right now um, earning the most targets on – the Giants at, you know, just an 80 to 85% route rate. So maybe if they feel more comfortable with him uh, down the stretch, he could increase that route rate. And, you know, as long as they don't trust Katerius Tony, these other wide receivers are charting out there. Richie James, Kenny Galladay, uh, David Stills. It's it's a bunch of no names. And I think I, think I saw that at, um, at Kenny Galladay had something like two routes or something like that in the last game. Yeah, he's he's dust. I think I was doing an underdog uh, draft today, and I think Shepard at an ADP of one sixty one, yeah, is maybe one of my favorite values. Look, like Tony Tony probably gets more of a role. Wandale Robinson will be back at some point, but I think at that cost, uh, given what he's shown so far, and you know maybe even getting healthier throughout the year, I think Shepard's a, a pretty interesting um, add in your deep leagues for for main event and, and other sort of season-long leagues and also a pretty good value in the best ball resurrection. So I do think that Saren Shepard is the type of player where the efficiency versus target share is out. The efficiency, he's always going to be a low efficient guy over like a multiple, if you take an average of a couple of weeks. Um, but at a pick of 160, uh, you're getting like kind of close to a full-time guy who is who is commanding the target chair that he normally does? It is a great pick, and the other thing about his low, his eighty to eighty-five, and um, I guess he is a slot receiver, but he's also coming off a pretty recent Achilles injury. 
And so you, you could definitely uh, think that as the season goes on and as he recovers further from that, that that would go higher. Yeah, that's that's my thesis uh, for Shepard. I think I just think the price is so cheap that, you know, you're, you're kind of lighting picks on fire in the 160s anyways. If you can get a guy who's been good before in the NFL and is currently leading his wide receiver room and opportunity, I think that makes some sense. Uh, I think we should touch on the Chiefs, guys. Um, you'll see Juju with just a 40%-ish weighted targets per route run. MVS even lower than that um, in the mid-30s from a weighted targets per route run perspective. I'll flip over the next chart quickly so we can see Nicole Hardman, who has a much higher weighted targets per route run at around 65 but he is uh, earning significantly less snaps than both of those guys. Sky Moore is not earning any snaps. It's actually Justin Watson as the wide receiver four there. So, you know, none of these guys have really popped up for big fantasy games so far. It's a tough one to read. Juju and MVS are earning more snaps, but earning less targets. McCole actually looks like the guy when he's on the field that um, Holmes looks to get him the ball and does look pretty explosive out there. I know he also potentially got banged up last week. So that's something to monitor. I think at cost, I would probably go McColl and then Juju and then MVS, but it's, it's a really tricky room. I, I don't want to be spending a lot to, to take a, take a bet here when I get McColl for so cheap. I think there's some concern about about Juju. He looked good in week one, but last week looked like sort of the guy on the Steelers just getting really low ADOT targets, not doing a lot with them. I think the talent is in question there. And, and this is coming from someone who bought Juju a lot this offseason, but um, let's, <laughs> let's see what his price is now. It's still in the mid-50s. I am a little wary uh, of that price, uh, given what Juju has shown so far. Do, do you have any thoughts on these, these KC wide receivers? Yeah, um, so I know, obviously I think we both listen to Sean Siegel. Everybody listens to Sean Siegel a lot. And, and one of the comments he was making in the run-up or, or during the offseason last year or this year was that Mahomes was getting cheaper, but all of the wide receivers were getting more expensive. And one one of the comments that they've kind of the Chiefs have consistently made is, hey, it's going to be different guys on different weeks and – that that's just the way that we want to play. And I think that when you hear that comment, I don't think a lot of people kind of like incorporated that. They that the, the, the base assumption was, okay, somebody is going to consolidate that work and we just need to take kind of random shots across these guys and, and, and hope that it, it, it happens. And... I think what we're seeing is that it doesn't look likely to consolidate. Um, no. Just because you, you've got kind of like, you've got Travis Kelsey, and then you've got kind of a lot of middling NFL talents uh, at wide receiver. And it, it it was very effective against the Cardinals and not quite as effective against uh, the Chargers, which is a really strong defense. Um, so the way I would look to play that situation, uh, unless I thought there was somebody who really had a chance to consolidate, uh, it, it re price sensitivity is, is the name of the game. And 
and just I guess just to pull up some of these ADPs, and I I would be looking to make sure that other than Kelsey, that I'm just making sure that I get prices where and uh, I I can afford them to be a wide receiver by committee. Yeah. So looking at the prices, Drico, we got Juju at for, for just the wide receivers. We got Juju at 57. Then a huge drop off to MBS at 111. Then another huge drop off to Hardman at 138. And then Sky Moore at 141. So I am totally playing this through MBS, Hardman, and Sky. I think it doesn't make sense that Juju's price is so much higher than those guys based on what he's shown so far. Right. I do think I do want to make the point on Sky that it's it's looked quite bad through two weeks, but the fact that none of these guys is really popping does is a bit bullish for him that maybe when he sees the field, he can emerge as a target earner. Um, he clearly something's going on in practice where he hasn't shown that, but um, you know, I'm leaving the light on for him and probably taking him at 141 just as a bet that these other guys, MVS, Juju, McColl, are not um, you know going to be consolidators in in the NFL for Mahomes this year. <clears throat> yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah. I think that that the, the I mean, Cole Hardman does look interesting as a guy. Uh, yeah. Um, if he's going to be that cheap, and uh, he 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 plays for the Chiefs, he ha- he does have this kind of like defined role. But I I do think that he probably is capped. At this like sixty percent root share guy, who is, who, I guess, is not going to be terribly efficient, um, when he's on the field, but does have some pretty solid uh, touchdown, uh, I guess, avenues. And yeah, that that can be enough at that price. Agreed. Okay, I think that was a good breakdown of the Chiefs. Let's move on to this last chart for the wide receivers. These are guys that are more rotational wide receivers in the 30 to 70% of routes run. What you will notice here is some guys who missed a week, Gabe Davis, Mike Pittman, their their numbers are a bit skewed. I, I did not adjust uh, for injury here. I, I would have had more time. But, um, you know, besides some of those guys who, who clearly disappear here because they missed a game, you see a lot of rotational wide receivers um, that are pretty – interesting for me Drico, and then I'll, I'll let you give your thoughts clearly the most interesting to me here is uh the rookies burks and garrett wilson i think those guys are going to be really hyped up um i'll let you you um you know go on about either of those guys if you want but another guy i wanted to call attention to that's maybe going more under the radar is ashton doolin He's only running 40 to 50% of routes, but isn't seeing an insane target rate on those routes. You know, that could be just small sample variants for sure. Um, That can definitely happen in these type of charts when you're looking at, you know, just a few handful of routes for these guys. But there really isn't a wide receiver two in Indianapolis um, that's really shown much in the NFL. They got Alec Pierce there, hasn't shown much. Paris Campbell can't really seem to do to do anything. So I do think there's a chance Doolin can emerge there as a clear wide receiver too and provide some value. But yeah, those are my key takeaways from this chart. Um, I'll let you hit on Burks, Wilson, or, or anyone else that's jumping out here. Yeah, I guess the only thing about Doolin is that uh, a big a big part of, and, and I know this is probably going to be true all year, a big part of his target share has just been that 
they just don't have anybody else other than um, Pittman. Um, and Pittman was also out, out last week when Dooley right. had a lot of targets, so worth noting that too. Yeah. Um, and the other thing as well is how bad, I guess, how bad Matt Ryan looks. Like, oh, man. Awful. Yeah. Uh, and so it, I, I think it's pretty strong for uh, Dylan that he had 3.2 yards per, per route run. Um, and obviously with just this huge, huge target share. Um, but it, 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 it does make me nervous how, how bad Matt Ryan looked and how bad the offense looked when they had to rely on Dylan to, uh, to that degree. Um, Agreed. Other, other than that, um, I do think, obviously, uh, this this is just a hugely bullish symbol for uh, Garrett Wilson and Traylon Burks. Oh yeah, um, we're, we're those are players that we think are going to be, are, are, at least I think, are going to be underpriced in pretty much any format. Um, probably need to wait a week or two for, uh, for DFS on on Traylon Burks, but um. Agreed. Yeah, Very Burks. Yeah, Burks and sorry, uh, Burks and Wilson are both still going in the nineties. Just wanted to give that context on best ball resurrection ADP. So the market is not caught up to this insane usage and insane potential for these guys. But continue, Trico. And 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 just I guess on on the resurrection uh, point, uh, these rookies, it, the the resurrection is basically made for rookie receivers because the scoring doesn't start until week six. Yeah, and. And uh, th- those are all the, the, the first five weeks is the weakest point for uh, for rookie wide receivers. And so anytime like y- you kind of just have to try and get as many rookies as you can on uh, rookie wide receivers as you can on your roster in, in that format. Yep. To, along those lines, I think another interesting thing that you'll see on this chart is the Packers wide receivers. They all appear as cardio specialists, meaning uh, low weighted target throughout run and low fantasy points on a chart of rotational wide receivers. So that tells you something about this room right now. They're just kind of throwing shit at the wall with these wide receivers. They don't know who's good. None of them are really flashing much. But to your point of this this best ball resurrection thing is made for wide, uh, rookie wide receivers, I am putting my chips in on Christian Watson and Romeo Dubs. I'm not sure either of them are good. They haven't really shown a whole lot yet, but they have shown more from a target earning perspective than Sammy Watkins and Randall Cobb and Alan Lazard. So, yeah, it's gross for the Packers. Uh, if I'm Aaron Rodgers, I'm not sure why I uh, re-signed in Green Bay for a year if this is the wide receiver room I was going to be given. But, you know, someone here I think has to emerge out of this you know, worst quadrant on the worst chart that we're showing for wide receivers. Somebody has to do better than this. And I am going to bet on, on the rookies here at what I assume to be pretty low prices. We got Dubs at 141 and Christian Watson at 156. You can put together a pretty damn cheap Packers stack and, you know, hope you get, hope you get lucky for a week or two um, in, in the best ball playoffs with, with some of those guys. That makes sense. Um, one question that we did get, um, it, it's probably a little bit longer, but I, I, I think it's an interesting. Uh, so how how do we rank the rookie wide receivers? Um, I, I, I think we're a bit short for time, so let's just do for the rest of the season. 
And yeah, okay. For me, I think rookie wide receivers, I think London is the clear number one for me. Number two, I think I would go Burks. Um, it's close between him and Wilson, um, but I'm just giving Burks the edge in a weaker wide receiver room, which with, I think, a better quarterback. I think once Zach Wilson comes back for the Jets, um, it could really hurt Garrett Wilson. So I'm going London, Burks, then Garrett Wilson. And then I think there's – and then Olave, I think, is probably clearly fourth. And then I think a big tier break after that, I would then probably go Dotson. And then, oof, yeah. I got to think through it more. But those are – I think – and so one thing that'd be interesting in what do you think that efficient ADP would be for Drake London and Burks? So if you, if you were going to, obviously we don't yeah. want to completely rank it. And um, would you take, would you take Drake London ahead of DJ Moore? Oof. I think I would, I think I'm, and yeah, I I would, and it, it kind of it hurts a little bit, but um, his role is a lot better. Uh, he was taken in the top, what, what was he, the top 10 pick in the NFL draft. Right. Um, and I think more the, the situation in Carolina is is a bit concerning. So I think I think that's very close, though. I, I'm not 100% confident in that, but what, what, what about you? What's your thoughts? Uh, I, think, I think I would. Um, yeah. It's it doesn't it doesn't feel comfortable, but I I I feel like uh, I do think that Drake the the efficient ADP and you're you're probably never gonna have to draft him there. Efficient ADP probably is fourth round, and mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. for Burks probably probably just a little bit behind and and probably like early fifth fifth round. That makes yeah. sense to me. I think, yeah, I think that makes sense to me. And again, I, I want to rip more of these Bessel Resurrection drafts so I can really get my head around ADP. Uh, but that sounds fair. And I, I like he has to earn a bigger role. And with the amount he's getting targeted when he's on the field, I mean, I I, I think Vrabel is ultimately a smart coach. Um, you know, he, he might not do everything perfectly from what sort of analytics people want, but I think he's going to get his best player on the field in in short order so i think that sounds about right to me i think an interesting way to think about you know quick tangent on the best ball resurrection adp i think it's a little interesting to think of it from the perspective of if we were doing drafts for next year where would drake london go based on these first two games and i would say like third round if i just yeah. if i had to draft today and if you're taking that mindset why shouldn't he go in the third round for the end of the season this year, right. I think people are a little bit too anchored to preseason ADPs on certain guys. So I think London, based on what he's shown so far, you know, he he sort of deserves that um, third, fourth round uh, ADP for sure. So I'm hammering him uh, anywhere I can. Yeah, um, and 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 the point isn't like, oh yeah, we're drafting Drake London in the fourth. The the point is okay, this is what, we're just trying to put a, a, a framework, where should they be valued, right? Yep, agreed. Let's finish with tight end here, Drico. Uh, you guys should be familiar with this chart from last week, but it's pretty simple. We're just showing 
tight end pass, pass route percentage. So to be precise, this is we take the total number of dropbacks for the team. We see how on how many of those dropbacks are the tight ends running a route. That's a really important statistic, and that gets you your pass route percentage. Pass block percentage is the same thing on how many of the team's dropbacks are these guys staying in and pass blocking. So this chart here shows the high usage tight ends, guys who are getting more than 60% of routes run. I think we can cover this quickly, Drico. My main takeaway here, and let me zoom in on this chart a little bit just so we can see it better. I think there's a couple late round tight ends that look really good uh, from a pure usage and also target earning standpoint. Uh, Tyler Higby, Hayden Hurst, Evan Ingram, uh, Jawan Johnson, who was mostly undrafted. Those guys are all earning 80, close to 80% or more of their team's routes, and they're earning solid targets while doing so. I think Evan Ingram is potentially the most exciting there. We talked about how weak that wide receiver room was when we were talking about Robinson and ETN, but that applies to Ingram as well. He has a weighted targets per route run of 53%, which would be strong even for a wide receiver. So, um, yeah, that's my big takeaway. I think Evan Ingram and those other guys I mentioned are looking quite strong. And I, you know, I'm not an expert on DFS, Drico. You probably have a better sense than me, but I would probably be playing guys like Ingram uh, and Hurst and DFS before they have a big game because I think you can definitely see one coming in the future. Uh, yeah. Any, any thoughts there on those guys or, or anybody else in this chart that jumps out to you? Um, I think you may be uh, one of the only people remaining who can who can get excited about uh, Evan Ingram. <laughs> um, yeah, you, I mean, he's he was good. Uh, you know, he was good before he was bad. Um, at some point, we thought he was good on the Giants, so, but then he dropped the ball it, a thousand times. It, I, it is it is important though that he is running that high route share. He is earning those targets, and and that. That is super important, um, and and definitely when you can get that at a great cost, it has to be interesting. Um, yeah, I think it's super interesting that uh, Mark Andrews at that kind of like he's the highest uh, route share guy with the highest target earning ability. Um, where where is? I, I think I think that has to be super interesting and he's oh, yeah. easily the shoe in to be the tight end one on the year and the ADP has not really reacted. He's still gonna pick around twenty. Yeah, I was taking so much Andrews in the offseason, and I thought at one point because I, I know sharp people were a little bit down on him. I was taking him in the late second almost every time, and he's still sitting there. I mean, he's like. You know, we talk about Pitts as a wide receiver you can play a tight end. Mark Andrews actually is a wide receiver you can play a tight end. He right. has zero percent pass block rate here. Like he's not, right. he's not a tight end, and he, I don't quite understand why Kelsey still goes so far ahead of him. Andrews is a younger player. He's running more routes. He's earning more targets. He's more explosive at this point of his career. I mean, Kelsey's a stud too. I'm not hating on Kelsey, but. Andrews uh, should be right up there with Kelsey in, in drafts. Uh, I'm totally with you on that. And uh, just a, a fun stat here is that he's only in line at 10% of uh, the time. Yeah, that's that's insane. He's he's a beast. I uh, guess we should we should touch on Pitts. I think people yeah he, he's an important one. I think yeah. So my my takeaway from this chart is 
Pitts' role is fine. I've heard a lot about, oh, he's being asked to pass block a lot. Okay, maybe it's a little bit more than we'd expect, but he's still, looking at this chart, he's running the seventh highest percentage of routes of any tight end. That that role is totally fine in my book. What is not happening for him is earning, earning targets. Only a 23% weighted targets per route run is quite low. I am willing to bet that's more small sample noise than a big concern for Pitts. Certainly, like, his ADP has fallen a little bit, and I think that's justified. But if he continues to slip, I think he's in the 40s now. I'm still in on Pitts. You know, a lot of the things that we thought about him before the season are still true. He's a very talented player, high draft capital, you know, got a 1,000 yards as a rookie. I think the nature of the tight end position is there's going to be down weeks. If you look at Kelsey, Mark Andrews' box scores from last year, you can find two catch, 20-yard games scattered in there. It's going to happen. But I'm not, like, full-on panicking on Pitts as um, right. you seem to see on Twitter. And, and yeah, thoughts yeah. There, There's definitely some uh, victory laps over uh, over the grave of uh, Kyle Pitts. And, <laughs> the, uh, the I mean, honestly, the target stuff, if you had told me in, at the start of the year – uh, he would only earn two targets a game for the first two weeks. It, it it's just it's super disappointing. Yeah, uh, but you do have to. I think you do have to make sure that you're using all the, the available information. Like people treat it as if the last two games that we saw is is the only information that we have. When yeah. that just you, you have to bring in all the other factors, like how good he was in college, how good of a tight end year he had last year as a rookie which is kind of like a little bit unheard of. And the the, the comments, it, this is probably a, a bit more of a stretch, but the comments of where he, the Arthur Smith got asked, oh, hey, why isn't he getting more targets? And it's like, I'm, I'm trying to win a real game here, not fantasy football. The, the back, I think the backlash to that of like, what do you mean you're not using one of your best players when you're trying to win a game is so strong. And the, uh, the, 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 the play where they lost the game on that pick to Brian Edwards and triple coverage is so egregious that I almost wonder if they're forced to just go the other way of like, okay, this is embarrassing. Why aren't we using Kyle Pitts? And then maybe we do see, uh, we do see some stronger, uh, stronger target rate. And, um, but definitely a pick 40, I think with a talent like that at such a barren position, you really like it, it's it, it does seem like such a smash pick. I agree with that. Let's finish up with the chart you've all been waiting for rotational tight ends. Uh, <laughs> so these are way. <laughs> these guys are earning 30 to 60 percent of their routes run. It's funny you mentioned Noah Gray. That was my um, one of my big takeaways from the chart. I think this is this is more of a managed um, league point. I do think there's something to be said that Travis Kelsey's backup tight end should be rostered, and I think it's pretty clearly Noah Gray from a pass catching perspective. He's running more routes than Fortson. Uh, Fortson doesn't even appear in this chart. I think he's closer to like ten or fifteen percent of routes. Noah Gray is up at around forty percent of routes. Noah Gray also, you know, small sample, but fifty five percent weighted targets per route run that's quite strong. So if you're in a managed league uh, and you have an extra bench spot and need some tight end upside on your roster, say you're trotting out Dawson Knox and 
McDavid and Joku or whoever it may be. I think Noah Gray makes sense as a stash in the same way that you would stash Alexander Madison or Samaj P. Ryan at running back. I think whoever steps into Travis Kelsey's role would be a top 10 tight end and, and maybe Noah Gray has some talent. So, so uh, that's my Noah Gray take. On that. And yeah. So, as you know, I'm not a big uh, managed guy, um, but one of the one of the big things of the main event is the short bench and how much that really makes you think about you really got to think about who are you using a roster spot on um do you think that uh the main event kind of with the with that be- the the shorter bench do you think he's still kind of a stash or do you think he's more of a like okay some of these uh redraft leagues that would would do on sleeper or something like that and they've got a yeah. big bench is that where he's more interesting? Yeah, I think I'm going to give a wishy-washy answer, but I think it depends. It depends where you need upside on your roster. If you're a zero RB team and have Darren Waller as your starting tight end like we do, I'm going to be throwing my flyers at Chris Evans, you know, uh, Ronald Jones, like these these third-string running backs that may have some contingent value because I know we need upside at the running back position. I'm throwing my darts at those type of guys. If I have a roster where I punted tight end and I'm, you know, maybe I drafted Gesicki, um, Irv Smith, some guys that have maybe disappointed so far, I do think in that scenario where maybe the rest of your roster looks quite strong and you say, hey, what really takes this roster over the top is an upside swing at tight end. I think guys like Noah Gray, Isaiah Likely is definitely another one I would 100% throw in that category. You, you can say the same thing. Um, that I said about Gray, about Likely, except he's even earning more routes and has an even more insane target share when he's on the field. So those are two guys, Isaiah Likely and Noah Gray, that in the FFPC main event, if I need upside at tight end, I am stashing them, you know, if I feel good about running back and, and other positions. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, that does make sense for sure. Yeah. Um. One one question that we got, Um. I see uh, Eric, Eric Hove. Uh, agrees with us about the uh, about Kyle Pitts. Um, I, I've done a bunch of code drafts with him, very sharp guy. And uh, one question he had about us, and this your your Mike Gasicki comments was like, "Oh, is he usable?" I think the problem for Gasicki, uh, Mike Gasicki on the Dolphins, is that not only is he not getting the root share that we want, so he's he's there below a sixty percent root share, but in the wide receiver um in the in the wide receiver chart we saw that Waddle and Tyreek Hill are earning such dominant like such huge target shares that a rotational sort of tight end uh it's just so you you the the tight end in that offense has to has to be a hundred percent root guy almost and then even then it's like it's 10 because th- those guys are taking up so much target share. Yeah, totally agree on that point with Kasiki. I think he needs, I don't know, a Smythe injury or, or something to, right. to be usable. Cause right now he's just, he's splitting that role and he'll definitely, I mean, if you're punting tight end, there are worse plays. We know he can be involved in the red zone. He has the speed to, you know, take a route down the seam. Uh, and the Dolphins' offense looks looks explosive. So if you know you're asking me, Mike Gesicki or Brevin Jordan or Mike Gesicki or Logan Thomas, I'll, I'll go Gesicki. But he's you know pretty firmly in the tight end two discussion. I think at right. this point. Um, cool. Well, I think that's 
once you spent 10 minutes talking about Isaiah likely and Noah Gray, uh, it's a good, good time to <laughs> wrap up the stream, but that was a ton of fun guys. I'm glad we got to do the show live. I believe Trico and I will be trying to do this every Tuesday night at around 7 PM and be live for the ship chasing VIP members. So uh, if you're not uh, involved there, um, you can join the ship chasing discord and be able to access these streams live. Um, then yeah, the only other thing I'll plug, if you're interested in looking at these charts in more detail, one, I will post them in the ship chasing discord uh, in PDF form. So you can take a look at the charts and maybe get some insights from guys we didn't talk about. And you can also follow me at Sherman underscore FFB on Twitter, where I will be posting a weekly thread with these charts and my key takeaways. But yeah, Trico, anything you want to plug uh, before we get out of here? Uh, yeah, uh, obviously, yeah. Uh, subscribe to uh, Rotovis, and um, that's where uh, you get a lot of sh- a lot of articles uh, from uh, Sean Siegel. And um, I, I, I'm gonna, I'm writing a column on uh, the the Battle Royale every week. I think that's a super fun format that more and more people are getting into. What's really cool about it is that it's like DFS, but nowhere near the time commitment. You don't you, you don't have to skip brunch on uh, Sunday morning. If you uh, if you don't want to, you can draft your teams during the week with the information that you get. Uh, you can you, that you from your research, and um, and it's a it's a lot of fun to sweat. But I yeah I I've been doing a lot of research or say uh, writing about the kind of strategy on it and 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 how to take advantage of different uh, strategic elements there. Um, I'll probably be doing some podcasts soon with Callum Kelly on Rotovis. Um, but th- those are uh, those are my plugs. Nice. Yeah, definitely got to check out those Battle Royales more, it sounds a ton of fun. But anyways, that was, that was a lot of fun, guys. Uh, we'll see you back here next week.